Church family, I invite you to pray with me. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, in these moments, we just pray that we'd be able to block out everything else, all the noise of life, and hear your voice. Lord, I pray that I would be your ambassador, that it would not be about Dustin Bloomer, but it'd be about Jesus Christ as you use me to give a message from your kingdom. Bless your people, Lord, as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so again, happy Mother's Day uh, to all who have gathered and everyone who has been given a mother's heart. Uh, we helped out you dads and you sons by giving already mom a flower, so maybe you're covered. I don't know if that's the case or not. Uh, but because it is Mother's Day, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the gift that mom is. And part of the way that she shows her love is sometimes by lying. So I'm here to say on Mother's Day that moms are liars. Here's what I mean. I came across this post that said, A mother is a person who, seeing there are only four pieces of pie for five people, announces she never did care for pie. You know a mom like that. In fact, I came across this parable about the eight lies that mothers share throughout their lives. I'll give you just a few of them. The mother was working... Uh, Three jobs to get a kid through school. And when a son woke up and saw mom working in the wee hours of the night, said, Mom, you should go to bed. And mom said, Sweetheart, don't worry. I'm not tired. The son progresses through life and gets a job, a good paying job. And mom is still working, even in retirement age. The son offers to give her money, and she says, Son, thanks so much, but I have enough. Finally, at the end of life, the son comes to visit mom in the hospital bed, and she does everything she can to smile when her son arrives. And as she sees the tears in the son's eyes, as she sees mom there in the hospital bed, she gives her final lie. Son, don't worry. It doesn't hurt. Do you know a mom like this? A mom who's known for giving what is needed for all those around him, even if she has to lie to do so. And so I wanted to bring you back to actually the beginning of Mother's Day. Does anyone know what mom was commemorated by Mother's Day? Her name is Ann Jarvis. And uh, she actually started the Mother's Day Club in the 1850s. And she did this in order to promote uh, child health, uh, so the healthy children. And this was actually born out of a burden for her. Uh, Ann Jarvis, who is pictured here, actually lost nine children due to epidemics. She lost nine children because of the uh, unsanitary conditions at the time, and so she went to work uh, gathering mothers together to make sure that children would stay and be healthy. Now, when she died in 1907, her daughter, Anna Jarvis, began Mother's Day. And the thought behind it was not to help the flower industry or the chocolate industry, but rather it was to talk about the nobility of a mom who is willing to do whatever it takes to help those around her. And one of the things we see about mom is she's known for loving sacrificially, of giving even if it hurts. And so again, if you have a mom who is like Ann Jarvis, it's good to give a flower and chocolates. It's good to go out for lunch and to see what she wants today. But is it only mom who gives sacrificially? 
Do you know anyone else who's known for doing this? I won't be here on Father's Day, and so um, I, I know dads can do this too, right? Maybe you've had a dad who, who spent their energy and, and used their body in order to provide, who, who loved in different ways but also gave. Maybe you have a friend who does that for you, a friend who is busy, just as busy as you are, but is there for you when you need him, who prays for you and gives what is needed. Yes, many people can love sacrificially. And as we've gathered in this place, we're turning our attention to the thoughts of God. And something that I recognize about sacrificial love is this. It's our first takeaway. So if you're taking notes, uh, feel free to fill in this blank. That I believe sacrificial love is nearest to the love of God. When when you have to think about God, the, the, the biggest love he gave is this. That a father with a perfect parent's heart would look upon his beloved son and give him away. This father, in his sacrificial love, would watch as his son dies. That's the love of God. This Jesus would hang on a cross, would be willing to shed his blood and give his body to pay the ultimate sacrifice and die. And why? So that you would know that's how much you're loved. So that you could be his child. So you could know the goodness of God now and forever. This is the love of God for our salvation. And this is the love of God he wants us to give to others. It's our drumbeat. But you know, it's interesting that um, a mother's love is, is somewhat easy. And this is what I mean by that. You don't have to tell a mother to love her children, do you? Mothers innately do this, don't they? Mothers innately have this radar, this sense that they want to provide and take care. And so um, it comes kind of naturally to love your child. Or what about this? When, When someone leads in love towards you, offers a kindness, a gift, it's not so hard to love them back, right? You know, Jesus talked about that. And when it came to easy love, look what he said. He said, if you love those who love you, like those in your family, those who are your children, those who are your friends, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? He was trying to refer to those without God. Aren't the people without God still kind to their own family and the coworkers who are kind to them, right? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? And then Jesus, in the context, said, so so your love, it needs to go further. He said this, so love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And at this, we're like, so God, let me get this straight. Um, The the people who are tearing down my reputation, uh, the the people who have betrayed me, the, the people who are actively hurting me, You want me to love them? And God says, yeah. But but God, uh, don't you know what this is going to take? Don't don't you know what this is going to cost me? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It's going to take sacrifice. And so we're going to talk about how we could get there today and Man, if you haven't recognized, sometimes church is like 
going to the gym and it's arm day and you love doing arms and it's like, oh my goodness, I love arms, here we are. And sometimes going to church is like leg day. I don't know if anyone's a fan of leg day, I surely am not. And today as we talk about sacrificial love, it's a word so needed, but welcome to leg day. Because he's going to challenge you. He's going to challenge you to be different than the world, be different than what is common, be different and changed by his word. And so we're in this series called Changed, and I came across this verse in my personal Bible study about a man who has changed, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, there is a man named Saul who was going to be the first king in Israel, and I was reading about how God would set him up to be the king, and this is a verse that just kind of stuck with me this week. It said, the Spirit of the Lord will come on you powerfully, and you will prophesy with them, and you'll be changed into a different person. And what's so great about this verse is that it wasn't that Saul was going to have to try harder, right? It wasn't that he prayed a special prayer. It was just that God was going to use the Spirit to change him. And when I came to this verse, this was the desire I had. If God were to come to me like he came to Solomon and grant one wish, it would not be for a nice car. It would not even be for wisdom. You know what it would be? It would be for this. God, if you could just change me to whatever you want me to be, because I don't want to be anything that displeases you. God, it's about your spirit anyway, so if you could just transform my life through the power of the the risen Christ, use that to to change me so that the world might see you. I want to be what pleases you. Do you have such a desire? Knowing what God has done for you to be changed into what pleases him. Well, here's the good news. In these moments, he's going to use the word to change our hearts and perspective. He sends his spirit. The bad news is we'll never be changed perfectly, but we can always make progress with the spirit. So let's turn to the word and and let it change our hearts. Uh, we're in the book of First Peter. We've been doing a series where we're just kind of camping out in First Peter, uh, something you can read at home as well. And in honor of God speaking to us through these words, I'm going to invite you to stand as we hear. And so picking it up, chapter 2, it says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at them, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the powerful word of God. Uh, Before you sit down, could you just say out loud, there's no greater love. There's no greater love. Please be seated. No greater love than Jesus. Did anyone else struggle knowing what to get mom for Mother's Day? Didn't really know 
what the appropriate gift would be. You know, I, I saw recommendations for what to get mom. Uh, of course, there's always the flowers and the cards and the chocolates. Um, I, I was learning a little bit about noise-canceling headphones. Maybe mom would like that. Um, uh, weighted blankets. I saw a wearable blanket, you know, anything that's fuzzy and comfortable. Um, I was struck by this. Um, hot sauce was a recommendation. I guess it's truffle hot sauce. And I'm like, whatever mom loves that is, it's a cool mom. But I'm just not sure hot sauce says it, you know. But, but I bring this uh, concept up because at one point or another, whatever you picked out, there is this sinking feeling that everything you're giving is so trite and transitory compared to what she gave, it's underwhelming. Like, even if I buy, you know, seven dozen flowers, um, that's still underwhelming for what she has done and what she continues to do. At one point or another, the, the bottom line is, um, I can never give to mom as much as she gave to me. Do you know what I'm saying? I bring this up because when it comes to God, you think of what he gave us. Salvation is completely up to him. He sent Jesus so that 100% of our salvation is all on Jesus and not on us. And what do we respond with? I sang a song. I prayed a prayer. I volunteered this one time. I'm giving to you. I'm here today. Now, by the way, I'm not making light of any of those things. It's just that at one point or another, everything that we would offer to God seems very underwhelming compared to what he gave to us. And every now and then I wonder, what is something that would really please God? What is something that would wow God? What is, what is something that you're like, whoa, that's exactly what I wanted? And I think Peter actually gives us a wow kind of gift. He gives us a solid gold suggestion for what to offer God in thanksgiving for all he's done. And this is how he starts it off. In verse 19, he says, so this is favorable. And another translation is this is like a gift. This would be pleasing to God. If a person endures sorrows while suffering unjustly because he is conscious of God. And one of the first takeaways I have is then this, not what to give to mom, but to God. I have found there are few sweeter gifts than offering the endurance of our suffering. When, when we are willing to, to endure pain because it's the right thing to do. Willing for it not to feel good, but you know you're giving God glory. And this is so important for some of you to hear. Because what it means is this. It means that when someone has hurt you so bad and forgiveness is so far removed because the, the hurt is that deep, and you're wondering, should I really forgive this? Because, I mean, to do so, is, it's just going to be painful. When you choose to forgive and you bear that pain, I don't know of many sweeter gifts of thanks to offer to God. What this means is that if you're in a relationship and someone is taking advantage of your kindness, because as a Christian that could happen. It can. And they're either manipulating you or taking advantage of you and they're making you to be out the fool. And you have nothing and no way to stop it. And it's hurting you. You can still endure and offer this as a sweet thanksgiving to God. 
what it means in your life of service. When everything just seems too much, and your point is here, but you're keeping pushing to here, and you're bearing the marks of that service, the pain that you endure, it's pleasing to God. But the reality is, this is hard. <laughs> it's so much easier for me to preach to you about doing these things than it is to go out and do it. Because our hearts rise up and the sinful nature rises up and says, forgive that, endure that, do that, go that far? No, God, that can't be the case. In fact, the writer of the Hebrews tells us that we come to our breaking point way too soon. The writer of the Hebrews said this, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. He encourages us to stick in it even when it's painful. But today we repent of all the times we didn't bear up under it. And we said it wasn't worth it. And we gave in. But there's beauty in Jesus. For Jesus is strong and mighty. And Jesus is full of compassion. And Jesus didn't know what it was to give in and be at that breaking point. Something I recognize is he hangs on the cross to give his life and die. We don't want him to give up. <laughs> we don't want him to come down. And he didn't. And because of this, we are saved not because of what Jesus did was easy, but because it was hard and he bore through it. That is our salvation. In fact, what Peter is talking about and encouraging us is Isaiah 53, where it talks about the suffering servant. And words that he shared is this, that by his wounds we were healed. Because Jesus was willing to, to stay there and die. That's why you're forgiven. And that's why you have the right to be called a child of God. And that's how we know the love of God. Because he sacrificed. So how do we go forward like him? You know, it's interesting that um, in our lesson it refers to these sheets that we grew up with. And... Um, I have a preschool teacher at home, and so I'm familiar with sheets like this. Do you remember some of these? Um, a bigger question is, does anyone still do these? Does anyone write in cursive anymore? And, and for me, tracing was always fun because I'm not good with penmanship or art, uh, but I can follow a line, right? And, and, and when you do this often enough, uh, hopefully you'll learn the alphabet. Hopefully you'll have good handwriting someday, um, and you'll graduate from preschool. And, and I bring up this example of sheets because when, when Peter is talking in our lesson, he's using a word uh, that kind of describes sheet like this. In fact, in 1 Peter, he says this, To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an, can you say that word? Example. And it really had this idea of these sheets that were used for language. A guide uh, in order to write the language. That was the Greek word being used here. And he's saying, basically, I have set for you this pattern, and I just want you to, to follow in that pattern. And the pattern isn't cursive, and it's not the, the A, but, 
But what is the, the pattern of sacrificial love? If, if we were to trace out an object, what would it be? Would it not be this? I mean, the epicenter of, of Jesus' life for us is the cross. And, and the drumbeat for you and I that he's given us is the cross. He says, bear up your cross. In the book of Luke, he put it this way, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And there was something that struck me about that word daily, that, that it's not the exception to the rule that, oh, sometimes I'm going to have to suffer for God. <laughs> no, this is the drumbeat. If you want to live well out of thanks, you accept the unpleasant in order to give him glory. And so to love sacrificially is to accept your daily cross. There's a story that always sticks out in my mind of a, of a mom who played organ for the church. And she would bring her family along and uh, the sons would see how nervous she would get. That her hands would shake and that she would even get sick to her stomach before she would play. And so one of the sons asked mom, you know, mom, uh, why do you keep doing this? It obviously isn't easy for you. It obviously doesn't feel good. Why do you keep playing for church? Why do you think she did? Because she knew Jesus, didn't she? And she knew anything she offered, even that service, is nothing compared what Jesus did for her. This was a mom who was willing to bear a cross, whatever it looked like, in order to give God glory. And, and I bring up that story because here's what I believe about our current culture. Our current culture has a hard time with this lesson. It's leg day on a number of levels, and one of the reasons it's leg day is because there is no friend and no boss and no mentor who is going to tell you that this is good. In fact, the world we live in operates this way, that if it feels good, it must be good, and if it feels bad, it must be bad. Do you know what I'm talking about? In fact, I was learning a little bit about children's curriculum and there are certain curriculum used in school that basically let the child decide to do whatever they want to do. And as a pastor, that's astounding to me. It's astounding because theologically, they underestimate the sinful nature to a large degree. There is no way a child should be able to do exactly what they want to do. <laughs> no, that help, makes me sound close-minded. Yes, the culture we live in does not promote this message, but, but here's the beauty of this message. The beauty is that you can be exactly where God wants you to be, doing exactly what he wants you to do, and it may not always feel good, but it is good. I want to just say that again. You might be exactly where he wants you to be, doing exactly what he wants you to do, and it may not feel good, but it's exactly what he wants you to do. And it gives him glory. Yes, what sweet offerings we give to God when we are willing to do that. 
And then the lesson couches in there how far Jesus was willing to go. It reminds us the lengths of his love, that Jesus is a leader who never asks of us something he wouldn't be willing to do himself. I was astounded by this verse, that when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered and was abused, he made no threats. And it's so contrary to our actions. When someone talks to us meanly, we want to share a zinger. When someone abuses us, we want to retaliate and get revenge. This is the common way, but it's not Jesus' way. Because he knew the one who judges justly. And we can bear up under situations that may not be fair, under situations that may hurt because of the one who judges justly. But I think in all of this, we might somewhere nod our heads on the inside and say, yes, pastor, this is a good word. Oh, if I was only able to do that, that, that'd be really good, Pastor. The question is, how again do I get there? Well, one of the most shocking things about this lesson is who Peter was writing to. Do you want to know who Peter was writing to? In, in verse 18, if we back up one verse before we get into it, he says, Slaves. He's writing to slaves as he writes all of this. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to ma- your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Whoa! Talk about a countercultural word. Now, you might have some questions. Pastor, does that mean that God promotes slavery? Is that Okay. To understand the whole of the Bible, Paul said in other circumstances in the book of Corinthians that if you can get your freedom, go and pursue it. In 1 Timothy, he listed slave traders among murderers and adulterers, so this is not good. It's just that it is what it is. Have you ever said that? They lived in a culture where it is what it is, and slavery was going on. And and so what, what Peter says is that be a Christian even as a slave. Represent Jesus even in that hard circumstance. And why that matters for you and me, and why this helps us, is because it's not only those people that he called slaves. In verse 16, look what it says. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. See, the gospel is this, that God has freed you from sin, death, and the devil freed you from being a slave of sin. But he's invited you into a new service to serve him and be a slave of righteousness. So if you're taking notes, love sacrificially by accepting your identity as slave. You know, one of the stories that always sticks with me is of a a slave girl on an auction block And she was fearful at who would be her new master. She was being separated from her family when finally the highest bid was was for her. And she trembled as she went to meet her master. And when she saw him, he said to her, I bought you to set you free. And you can imagine the joy of that. She is now free to do whatever she wants. Maybe try to reunite with her family free from that burden and oppression. But her response, sir, if it's okay, I'd like to serve you the rest of my life. 
Isn't this the dynamic between God and a Christian? God comes to us and says, I bought you to set you free, and free you are indeed. But the joyful response, Lord, I'm here to serve you the rest of my life. And so what this means for our activity is that if you're a student, you go back to school and you do your best for your teachers and you do your best in homework, not just because you want to make the grade, but because you're slaves to God. What it means for a husband and a wife is that a husband lays down his life for his wife and the wife does the same for her husband and you do it not just so you can have a good marriage. You do it because you're slaves to God. What it means is that if you work for a company, you do the best for your customer. You give the best effort and the best of all that you got, not just because it's good for business, but because you are slaves to God. And it is this word that can bring so much beauty into life. I consider what is listed in Philippians for us to do uh, here Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Because after all, isn't that what mom does when she tells us those loving lies? And after all, isn't that what Jesus did? As he humbled himself to become a human and bear the, the cross, May he give you such a sacrificial love and may the Spirit empower you to do so out of thanks. Amen.